This podcast is brought to you by KT, the organic cold brew iced tea, which you can find in select UK retail stores and their website kt.co.uk, spelt K-A-Y-T-E-A co.uk. Hi, I'm Uzube Upodike. Welcome to Crowncast, where we discuss with capital allocators on their why and how they place capital and partner with small to medium-sized businesses. Today, I'm delighted to have with us in the studios, Mike Beck. Welcome, Mike. Hi, I'm Zube. Great to be here. Super excited to be part of this podcast. Thank you for coming through. It's really good to see you again. It's been a while and I know you have done so much in the space since we last caught up properly. To start off, do you mind sharing about your background and how you started angel investing to begin with? Definitely. And it wasn't until probably five years into my career that I took the leap. But essentially, we used to joke at my uni that you either turned left and went into Westminster and politics or you took a hard right and went into the city and into finance. And I went hard right <laughs> and started my career in investment banking for my sins. And I kind of found myself, even though I was working for a massive bank, a really, really big, at the time, in fact, the biggest financial institution in the world. And we were working on multi-billion dollar deals and, and the like. I kind of found myself gravitating towards the entrepreneurial talent that had built up. In our cases, what was a small deal back then, but today would be massive for me. Like, $500 million businesses, right? And I seemed to kind of like engage with these founders. And even though I was still a junior banker, right? I wasn't like a big shot or anything like that, but I managed to build, I guess like relationships and a rapport with them. And I thought, man, this is what I want to be doing, right? Working with, at the time, what I thought was a tiny business, half a billion dollars. And yeah, I spent about five years in banking. I started in 06 and I resigned almost 12 years ago to the day-to-day actually, back in July, 2011. And when I spoke to my boss, great guy, David Plowman, at the time, the head of the group, and we'd always got, gotten along really, really well. And he looked at me and he said, so Mike, what are you off to do? And I just looked at him and I said, David, I've got no idea. <laughs> and he burst out laughing. He took it really well, actually. But what ended up doing was reading this book, and I've been reading it for years, probably since 2007, so during my entire time in banking. And that book, that book was called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And it always surprised me. Have you read it? Yeah, I have. Yeah, Indeed. so few people have actually read it, which always makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, but to me, he's like a micro-celebrity, I would guess, right? If you know him, you know him. But if you don't, you don't. But at the time, and that's changed. It's changed now because I think he's learned from his mistakes as I've learned from mine. But at the time, he was advocating the real-world MBA. And what that was was taking your business school money and investing it in super early-stage startups in a hands-on fashion. So kind of rolling your sleeves up, learning by doing as opposed to being sat in a classroom, but also building your network. And obviously, you know, we met, what, 10 years ago or something like that? So even, even today, it's still paying off dividends. That's a fantastic trajectory. So for working in investment banking with a lot of large deals then and gravitating towards the more entrepreneurial side, the smaller size, you know, half a billion deals of the portfolio <laughs> you were working on at the time, to diving in to the unknown and embracing philosophy of the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss and then backing founders and entrepreneurs who you felt were more, you know, in line with what you wanted to do. You're more passionate about exploring that field. Definitely. And actually, so, I mean, I'll fast forward to today and what I'm doing mm-hmm. at the moment, which is essentially mentoring and working with very, very, very early stage founders, often solo founders, maybe with just an idea or not even an idea and helping them to get their first business off the ground. And I get all of the founders that I work with to do this exercise right at the very, very beginning. And it's to try and understand your why. Why the heck do you want to start a business? Because of course, and, and your listeners, I'm sure will realize this, but I always say that starting a business it's hard. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? And you're going to come across all sorts of barriers and obstacles. 
as you start building your business. And I've also been a multi-time founder myself, twice VC-backed, one an epic failure. The other one's still going, raised about one and a half million quid in capital. So I've been there, I've done it. I've turned around two small businesses as well. And I've got the gray hairs to prove it. I know it's audio only, but trust me, I've got the gray hairs, guys. <laughs> salt and pepper, yeah. Salt and pepper, baby. But why do I say all that? I say all that because when the going gets tough, you've got to be in a position to understand why the heck you are doing this. Because actually, it's a much easier life working for someone else. It genuinely is. You are not going to have the asymmetric returns profile. You're not going to make or unlikely to make generational wealth or have a ginormous impact on the world by working for someone else. But you've got so many other benefits, right? Safety and security. That's true. Even that safety slash security is relative, especially in macroeconomic conditions like we have now. But before fast forward to today, and we will go back to stuff that you're working on today. Do you want to talk about some of the perhaps portfolio companies more broadly or what you learned from your investing as an angel and participating over the last 10 years in companies that were pretty early? Yeah, I mean, so I, I was investing super, super, super early stage and in fact still do today. That's just my personal bias. I love it. I love empowering people and, and helping them to yeah, kind of follow their dreams and, and have that big impact. We will talk more about what I'm doing currently, but back then, actually, I mean, here's a little secret for you and you know it, I'm sure, right? But if you've got money, Everyone wants to be your friend. It's the absolute <laughs> truth, right? But when, the, when people think you've got money, <laughs> also true. And yeah. that's another thing to say as well, right? And especially for your listeners, if they're going out there and looking for legit capital allocators, people you need you to look like you have that capital. Otherwise, mm. yeah, you can't be looking broke and asking people to write your one billion pound check. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But also, be aware there are going to be sharks, right? Mm -hmm. There are going to be people who say they've got money, who are investors. And I used to go to. I was just full time, basically, like voraciously networking, going out there and, and meeting people and other investors and founders and tons of service providers. Watch out for those guys too, right? Me and value. But, uh, you know, I, I would go to like angel, net, angel pitch events and stuff and I'd be sat in the room. So the founders would come in, they'd pitch to us and then the founders would leave the room and we as angels would like discuss. And it became clear to me that quite a lot of people there either just did not have the appetite to invest in early stage startups, which maybe is normal, right? Like it's risky. Mm -hmm. You have to be, I think we're a little bit crazy actually in Zubi, right? Sure. For doing it. <laughs> but we do it for maybe different reasons. And not everything is about financial returns, but also if you get that one winner, like my biggest exit today has not been massive, right? But it's been 20X. And that was in, I think, three to four years. So pretty decent IRR. Mm -hmm. But you know, many, many, probably 60 to 70% of my portfolio have gone down to either zero or are just dead. They're kind of running like a zombie. That's average. Yeah. But actually that's like the better than the average performance. I've been quite fortunate in my portfolio. So I have one that's 20 x Nice. A couple that are 10 x and a couple others that are sort of 2X at the currency. They only have 12 companies and one did. So Man, that's really good. I know it's yeah. exceptional, but I, what I'm trying to tease out of these conversations is how one can make it more eatable and what things, you know, we as capital allocators can do to support founders that are looking to, to get us to partner with. For sure. So I've kind of sat around in every seat around that startup table, right? From initially, I guess, investor slash advisor, because I was quite hands-on, through to joining small VC as, I guess, like an associate and then kind of working my way up directly with the partners there. Then we set up a venture studio and started spinning out companies. Then we took one of those companies and got external VC backing to grow it. And that's the one that failed. Then, then we went back to building businesses, basically, which is fun. But me, I don't have that focus, that single-minded focus. I've got a scatter brain, right? A scatter personality, I think is a nice way of saying it. But then I went through a startup accelerator myself, and currently I'm running a startup accelerator that I've set up with, with, with a small team. So um, within that team, I mean, what inspired you to, to start this academy? What impact do you hope to have? 
Yeah, so it's called under, Underdog Accelerator because we back the underdogs. And I think, look, there's a ton of data out there across all different uh, kind of metrics that show that essentially, and maybe this is going to sound harsh, right? But unless you are a white, straight uh, male, maybe with a little background in, in finance. Ex-McKinsey, ex-Goldman, la-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And that's not to say that these people, and, you know, I guess I tick a few of the boxes myself, right? So I'm kind of slacking myself off here. But it's not to say these people cannot be exceptional founders. But I also think that there is this entire long tail, and we yeah. talk a lot in marketing, right? Yeah, you, you agree, right? Mm -hmm. That is just missed. And yeah. actually, from both sides, do you, do you see it, right? The I agree with you. It's not the only criteria for success. Those are great indicators for success, but it becomes challenging when those are used as the only indicators for success and anything outside of that is ignored, underestimated. But I agree. So the underdog accelerator, what you're doing is looking at that long tail. Is that what you're saying? Or... What we are trying to do, and... This term sounds super wanky, right? But we're trying to <laughs> democratize access to the resources that you need to start a business. Gotcha. And we do that in two ways, right? So a lot of the traditional accelerators, and in particular, or even the founder first accelerators, like Antler, which I was a participant in mm -hmm. back in 2019, Entrepreneur First as well, and I think there were a couple of others that have popped up. A lot of these, you have to go through a lengthy and arduous application process and assessment process in order to get a place, right? So I think in my cohort, only the top 2% of applicants got accepted, which on the surface sounds great, right? But also 98% missed out. Does that mean that those 98% are not gonna succeed? I don't believe so. And it goes, like I was saying, it goes two ways. The criteria by which capital allocators and accelerators and venture builders judge applicants is one thing, but also applicants self-select out. People who could be exceptional founders look at the array of people who are successful and say, I do not fit into that mold. This is not for me. And we are trying to smash those stereotypes to bits and say, do you know what? Anyone can do it. And more than that, everyone has got the ability to be world-class at something. We just need to find out what that is. Fantastic. And is there any capital allocation that comes with the Underdog Accelerator program? There is. Initially, we were looking at setting up our own fund. Yep. Obviously, we talked about macroeconomic conditions earlier. That had an impact. But also, I'm kind of at the stage currently where I don't really want to be beholden to LPs. So I want to have the ability to move quickly and flexibly and, yeah, to invest on my own account, essentially. So what we are doing is taking, a, well, what we're trying to do, and maybe I'll preface this by saying that, you know, it's very kind of you to say that my investment portfolio for angel investing is probably a bit better than average, and maybe it is. But actually, what I've come to realize over the years, and I've probably done 30 direct investments and then another 20 or so through a fund and an accelerator, and I'm now part of an angel syndicate as well. So I'm doing probably two, three, four, five a month through that, but very small tickets these days. So my approach, my philosophy has changed. Before I used to have conviction. I was like, right, I found this amazing founder. They're working on something awesome. I believe in it. And those were the things you were talking about earlier, right? Like passion, great team, great people, and real conviction. And I backed those convictions with, for me, large investments based on my net worth and significant capital for those founders who had nothing because I was very often the first check in. So I get them up and running with maybe 30, 40, 50 grand, right? But every time that one of those investments fails, holy smokes, right? That's, that's a lot of money, debt. right? Yeah, that's a lot of money to lose. So now I go broad and I want to invest in as many people as possible, but with small, smaller checks, but still meaningful checks. That makes sense. And with, I mean, you've seen so many and worked with so many founders. What would you say are some of the mistakes you see time and time again? And what would you say are the things some founders get right? I think the most important thing, and I've got a poster up on my wall, actually, so it shows on the video calls when I'm at my desk and it says better done than perfect and perfect is spelled incorrectly. Let's yeah. see that again for the people at the back. <laughs> <laughs> better done than perfect. Thank you. You've got to get out there and I don't know, look, I always mismatch my 
my, my sayings and stuff, but it's something like the, 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 hardest, the hardest part of a thousand mile journey is the very first step. Uh, and that's what I say to all my founders. I don't really care, right? If you make great leaps in any given week or if you take one small step forwards, all that I want from you guys is that you are moving ahead. That's it. And often, and again, these artificial barriers exist in people starting up new businesses. And that's why we're trying to remove those. With us, you don't apply. You just start doing. And we will track you based on the input and the output, of course, uh, and the efforts that you're putting into granted our system. But our system has been refined over the past, yeah, 10, 15 years of me working in the world of startups and having mentored hundreds of founders over the years. And I think it's people like us, it's our job to pattern match, right? And to say, hey, look, everyone's unique, right? Your journey is unique to you, but there are commonalities. And actually most people at this particular stage in their startup journey are coming across the same problems again and again and again. So we can preempt them. And we can say to you, as an example, a lot of people, historically at least, it's changing these days, but historically, a lot of people would kind of go dark. They'd have an idea, they'd go dark, they'd, you know, they'd, they'd build the product or, or build out the service and spend lots of time, money, effort, and energy doing that. And then six months or 12 months down the line, they'd launch and they'd be crickets. Indeed. Build it and they will come. That is not true, my friends. Test and learn, iteratively ship. If it's perfect, it's too late. Yeah. And actually what we teach, just funnily enough, we don't even say like iterate. We, we just say, we just say test without even having a product or service. Test without having a product or service. Yeah. Build, build demand first. And to me, there are two sides to any business. You've got to build demand, have people who want to buy your product or service. And then of course, once they built, uh, once they bought it, you've got to deliver. But a lot of people over index on that delivery first. They're like, my product or service has got to be the best, but you can have the best product and service in the world. If no one has heard of you, or if no one understands what you've got to offer or how you can help them, mm -hmm. you simply don't have a business. That is so true. I find myself giving, yeah, flavors of that to multiple companies yeah. in a single month. So true. So true. Thank you. Final question for you, Mike, before we let you go. What next? Are you going to be going forward and setting up the fund with limited partners at LPs and you being that GP structure for the underdog accelerator? Or what would be the best place for people to find you and learn about what you're going to be doing next? Yeah, so we're just starting out. Our first cohort is nearly finished and then we'll be opening up our second cohort over the next couple of months. But you can check us out at underdogaccelerator.com, underdogaccelerator.com. Again, free to apply. The application is simply coming into the community and getting started. Then we'll align you with a cohort. But in terms of what comes next, look, I'm a little bearish at the moment on GPLP structures. I think they can work exceptionally well, but the LP appetite, and by that I mean like people who've got capital and want to entrust it to people like us to invest on their behalf and make financial returns for them. I don't think they believe in the super early stage. And they're probably right because it's super risky. So our idea, me and, and Steve Franco, my business partner at Underdog, our idea is to actually drink our own Kool-Aid. Go out there, start building companies ourselves using our methodology and get them spitting off cash and reinvest that cash back into the founders that we bring through our program. So that's our plan. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. Please like, subscribe, share. I'm your host, Unzubi Vodike, on another exciting episode of Crowncast. Take care.